Welcome to the Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we rewatch and discuss the Great British Bake Off. We are up to Series 5, Episode 7, Pastry Week. Or as I like to call it, A Clear Way to Heaven. We'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> I want to uh, mention something that I don't know how we've never talked about it on the show so far. Um, in this episode, Mary is wearing a coral-colored bomber jacket with, like, this big design of uh, cranes. And it looks so good. Wait, like bird cranes? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, okay. As opposed to construction cranes? Is that what you're picturing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, they're they're flying across her jacket, uh, and she gotcha. she looks so good. She looks so iconic. Mary Berry and Karamo from Queer Eye are the reason why I, at one point, like, went through a big bomber jacket phase. The two of them oh. have such good bomber jacket collections, and at one point, I was like, I want to have a killer bomber jacket collection. And then, yeah. I didn't, and then you know, I, I bought a couple, and it was like, okay, I don't. I don't quite have the swagger of Karamo or Mary Berry. <laughs> you do. I don't know. You do. I feel like I've encouraged you in at least the, the purchase of at least one bomber jacket. Like semi-recently, too, actually. I don't buy any of the things I send you. Oh, no. I send you, like, all my all my fantasy purchase okay. concepts. Well, I still like picturing you in them anyway. But, yeah, Mary Berry does look good. She often goes for a bright color. When I think of Hall Hollywood, I think of, like, someone ironed his jeans. <laughs> I don't know if they actually did. He wears jeans and button-ups. It's, it's totally forgettable. But Mary Berry wears, like, great jackets. Do you... I wonder if Mary Berry calls pants slacks. I think Mary Berry would find talking about pants vulgar. Oh, fair. All right, we should talk about savory parcels. Mm -hmm. The signature today is 12 savory parcels. What the heck is a savory parcel, you might wonder? It's a pastry like a pasty or a samosa or an empanada. Martha makes mini beef wellingtons. I wouldn't have normally included that on my list here. I guess like a handheld snacking or appetizer type of thing. Hand pie. Yeah. So there's a good spread here. Why don't we start with Martha's mini beef wellingtons since you brought it up? Sure. Uh, she makes mini beef wellingtons. She wraps um, a seared chunk of beef in some parma ham. Um, I don't know exactly what parma ham is. We might just call it something different in Canada. I, it looks a lot like prosciutto. So I imagined it was definitely in that cured dried pork family. Um, yeah. Yeah, she does it the, the classic way that we have talked about before, like the Parma ham, the Dixels, the whole thing. Like, it is it is just a beef wellington. Yeah, cute mini version. She talks about how impossible it is to get the beef as rare as it needs to be um, because, you, you know, the pastry needs to cook in the oven. But it ends up being totally perfect in the end when they judge it. So she says that you she sears it to keep the juices in, um, but I have googled this question several times and it seems like the current belief is that that that's a myth um that it actually doesn't matter like the way the way i have seen it explained scientifically is it's not as though the steak is like one big bubble of moisture um it's more like it's millions and millions of little bubbles of moisture and no matter what you do you're going to like pop some of them but not all of them yeah i feel like the more important thing is resting it after it's cooked, right? Apparently Instead that's also not true. <laughs> what? Yeah. They, like, if you actually test it side by side, like, 
if whether if you know if you cut into it right away versus you let the you know you let it rest and the juices come back to the center apparently that also like if you test them it doesn't really make that much difference Whoa. as long as you're serving it immediately it actually doesn't make that much difference oh. but it does it does like continue to cook as you leave it sitting there right in its heat but yeah if it was exactly the temperature you wanted it to be it doesn't really matter huh no shit okay well I mean, Jeez. okay, I will say this isn't, like, peer-reviewed science. This is, like, guys with food blogs running tests. <laughs> I wonder, I guess the only thing, if you get a nice sear that gives it a little bit of, like, it's some, you know, with the sear, you get a bit of caramelization mm-hmm. or something, like, so you get a Maybe you want that little bit of crunch or whatever. Yeah, but it's more like, like, obviously this doesn't apply in this case to a mini beef wellington, but, like, if you're making a steak, it actually doesn't matter. Like, you can reverse sear a steak, right? So you can, like, sous vide it and then, like, blowtorch it at the end if you want. This Um, I did know. But it's also, like, you can, like, flipping it once or flipping it many times doesn't really matter. (laughs) There's, like, all kinds of interesting steak myths that all these, like, sciencey food blog guys have been trying out and it seems like there's a lot of ways to cook a steak they're all kind of fine well learn something new every day we've been talking for almost eight minutes and we've spoken about one savory parcel <laughs> it's because we haven't talked in a while there's too much other stuff to about. um richard does a lamb and mint pasty uh with sweet potatoes his is like a traditional pasty it seems like that one also goes very well i will say that this is the one that i wanted to eat Basically, just because of the sound it made when they bit into oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like his had the most, yeah, yeah, most delicious crunch out of anybody. You know, Mary says, like, it's oh so crisp. Um, oh, the other clothing-related thing I want to talk about with this episode is Mel does this <laughs> bit through the judging, right? Where she puts every one of everyone's pasties in her pockets. Yeah. Like, she does this with every single one until the last one where she doesn't have room anymore. So then she pops it in her mouth and walks away. It's, it's a funny bit, and I appreciate the commitment, um, but it honestly bothered me because I was like, you're going to ruin your blazer pockets. It's butter, yeah. right? It's buttery pastry. That's that's going to stain forever. However, she's still wearing this blazer the rest of the episode, even on the second day of the weekend, and the pockets are fine. So somehow she laundered out all the butter stains. Or maybe she lined them with a little bag. Or maybe they have two of every jacket. <laughs> in, in wardrobe? Yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to another unrelated question. I'm so sorry to our listeners. What happens to wardrobe after a show is over? What happens to all those clothes? I know this. I know this. Um, They used to auction it off in lots uh, when a production was finished. Very rarely somebody will have, an actor will have on their contract that they want to keep the wardrobe. But in the majority of time, they're auctioned off in lots. There are some very enterprising people in Los Angeles who run stores where they purchase these big lots uh, and then they sell them individually uh, and they organize them huh. like, you know, like, oh, these are from this production. Uh, and you can, and then some people re-auction off the individual items as well online. Well, that's fun. So you can, you can go buy them. I mean, not me personally, because I don't know if there's a single non-binary person my size on television. <laughs> That might be too big an ask, but um, someone, a size four to six person who is five, eight. Um, anyway. Oh, geez. Okay. Here's the one I wanted to eat. I wanted to eat Chetna's crispy lentil kachori, which is a pastry with a lentil mixture that's then deep fried. I was not super excited when it was just like lentils, but then the finished product looks like really beautiful. Yes. She flavored the pastry itself 
too. Mm -hmm, With carom seed. Yeah. Uh, Kate also had a deep fried, uh, you know, Indian spiced pastry that went a lot more poorly um, because hers was a samosa-ish thing with paneer and spinach. And her deep fryer apparently had a timer where it like turns off after a while, which I think is pretty common, uh, but she could not figure out what the problem was and she it just her oil was too cold and so she just didn't have the time to to you know to reheat it back up to temperature and so hers were very pale and undercooked they are probably also a bit soggy right because if the oil's not hot enough when you go into a deep fryer then whatever you're frying sucks up more of the oil they're probably really greasy um mary later on like way way later in the episode says actually that the filling wasn't well seasoned either like during this actual segment um, you know paul says like the filling is interesting uh and mary says it's like appreciates that it's not too spicy is like all she says she's like it's not too hot and that's like it um but later on she says that it's not well seasoned so do you think that means that kate um held back on the salt or on the whole because usually on american tv shows when they say it's under seasoned they mean they didn't salted yeah. well enough is that what it means in the uk too like all the other flavors would have come through if she salted it i think they do use it that way too like to mean not salty enough i think in this particular case though she was they were talking about the spice mixtures um, you know what's interesting is at the very beginning uh kate lists off all the spices she's using and paul is where yeah. it will be an overload of spices whereas to me it sounded like a pretty standard mix of spices so i was like surprised by that reaction i think we can probably guess that paul doesn't like cook cook a lot like he bakes but he doesn't like cook food well i don't know maybe i'm wrong but i do i'd wager if i ever to paul if you like having seven spices in one dish sounds absurd so (laughs) (laughs) oh dear Rest in Paul. Oh, Kate had bandages all over her arm, too. That went totally unexplained. Like, we never saw her get injured. But by the end of this, this, by the end of the signature, she just had bandages all over one arm. And I assume it was related to trying to get the fryer hot enough. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Poor Kate. She did not have a good day. Um, who haven't, oh, the, I think the only person we haven't talked about yet is um, Luis's childhood empanadas. He says he grew up on fried foods, and for this challenge, he reverse engineers his grand's empanada re- recipe with beef and chorizo and paprika and oregano in the mix, and then in the pastry, orange and paprika, which sounds kind of interesting to me. He always, I, I'm not familiar with like this area of flavor combination, I guess, so um, that sounded like it would be really tasty to me, just like different. I'm so sick of eating my own food. <laughs> At this point, I was like, orange and paprika, I would never do that. I want to eat it. <laughs> I Yeah, I agree with that, that it sounded appealing because it sounded different. Paul thinks they're too big, and Mary does not. Mary says, that's the size I want for my lunch, which I appreciated. Yeah. You know, like many people, his could have used kind of another minute. You know, like his was a little bit underdone. I don't know why I say like many people. There's not that many of them. No, there's Nancy, Nancy too. There's It's fully like half of okay, them yeah. have underdone pastry. Yeah. Paul says empanadas really weird. Like, he said empanadas, I think. Like, there's no A on the end. Oh. But then also, he oh, also geez. said the A there that he did say weirder than I can say it. I don't know. There was another moment on this episode where 
I've always said tinnitus my whole life. How do you say that word? I think that's how I say it too. Mel says tinnitus. Well, that I mean that just sounds British. Like I think I do think okay. American North Americans say tinnitus. Okay, thank God. The Brits do also say aluminium. So really hard to say. Well, not literally, but just what's correct and what's a Britishism and what I've been saying wrong my whole life. I don't know. We're readers, right? We don't know how to pronounce lots of things. Yeah. Uh, Nancy does a spicy duck pasty um, with unspecified Chinese spices. Unspecified oriental vegetables as well is how they put it. I know. I couldn't even, I can't even bring myself to say that. It's so, it's like, are we back in the 1960s, 70s, or 80s? I feel like it only bothers me when you refer to people as oriental, sort of. I feel like a rug or a vegetable, like it, that's sort of weirdly nonspecific, but it's not actively offensive. I think if you refer to a person as oriental, then that, that's... I think I'll probably just avoid it wholeheartedly, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right, then... It does still hang out for rug. And I do think I've seen it on like the side of those, you know, the frozen veg packs you get from like President's Choice or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like Italian vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yes. I have seen it there. And I've thought, hey, you guys should update it. Needed more filling, Mary says. Paul names the different things that, quote unquote, let it down. She used uh, ground rice to soak up moisture. And Mary, like, was really, really enamored of this idea. I thought this, this episode, I had the thought, we've talked about this before, but I feel like Mary talks to Nancy in a different way than she talks to everyone else. Like, I imagine that they, I like to imagine that they went out for brunch after the show wrapped. You know, like they have a friend energy to them where she, where Mary talks to Nancy in like a more casual, almost confiding kind of way, just the way she says things. Um, and I, I like to yeah. imagine that they're friends. I think that there's less of a like power imbalance between those two. Mm. Um, and I think that Nancy or that Mary is still going to cut whoever she's going to cut. Yes. But it's just like in her interactions one on one with people, she does tend to like, yeah, modify things a wee bit and if someone's having a hard day she just reels things right back and turns into sort of like uh, nana-ish mode she does but she's still judging them harshly on the inside like as soon as they get back to the yeah. judging tent she's very she's very straightforward again she she isn't mean to people's faces if it's not necessary or if it doesn't feel like they can handle it but she's still she's still holding everybody to a high standard on the inside yeah and i appreciate her I don't know I appreciate her tastes I guess like she's obviously we've talked about this before but like more interested in flavor than Paul Hollywood yeah I think she likes to eat sort of in a way he doesn't necessarily oh oh he likes technical perfection yeah well I also think he like he likes the things he likes you know um and I think he think he likes he likes the things he likes he likes being right he likes judging I think who doesn't (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) Paul likes to say he's looking for something different. He likes to say he's on the hunt for, like, new taste experiences. But I think in her quiet way, Mary is more truly doing that. Like, I think it's more truly part of her life and what she wants out of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, should we move on to the technical? We should. There was a historical segment again. Um, Oh. So my episode was, had this historical segment, was was missing the final minute of the episode, so you're going to have to tell me what happens. Um, I'll fill you in. But uh, the historical segment was just, it was about um, 
a silver mine in Mexico that oh. uh, miners from Cornwall were like went to go work there in the 1820s, <gasps> and it took 14 months of a sea voyage to get there. Um, wow! But, but they brought Cornish pasties with them. And they were very popular in Mexico, and they invented, like, a Mexican version that was just called uh, paste. Like, it's it, it spelled, oh. like, like, pa- like, paste, like, the way we spell, you know, glue. Uh, and it's, like, very similar, but with, like, different fillings. And apparently the descendants of the Mexican and Cornish miners who worked in this mine still get together and have, like, Aww. a pasty party. Sounds kind of like an ideal party. <laughs> Um, so the technical challenge was a Queen Emel. Queen Emel. Everybody has a hard time saying this. I've seen it. They have these in Montreal. And I yeah. always, always wanted to try one. But um, obviously, you can't get a gluten-free Queen Emel. And I did think about making one for the technical challenge. Sorry, not for the technical challenge. For Andrea's Baking Corner. But I actually made two, two bakes this week anyway. So three would have been too many. <laughs> But this is a traditional uh, pastry from Breton. They get three and a half hours to make it. It is basically a laminated dough that gets sugar in the last few turns so that you get like a crunchy, sugary, I don't know, something better than a croissant type of thing. It's also yeasted. Right, yes. That's a relevant bit. This... Technical feels like psychological torture more than it is actually difficult. (laughs) You know, at the very beginning, Nancy is like, there's like four or five ingredients and we have three and a half hours to work with them. So what's that all about? (laughs) There's all this proofing time in, in the recipe that is like unspecified. There's like really specific folding instructions. The recipe does not indicate that like you should put the sugar in at the end it is sort of vague about what you should do with the sugar exactly and then it was kind of just up to them to guess and the thing is none of them knew they all guessed like they didn't there wasn't a lot of logic behind their choices so louis and chetna divide the sugar amongst all three layers and then nancy puts it in the second layer and then richard and martha put it on the final layer the way you're supposed to but again it's not like they knew it's not like they logic it out they all just kind of took a stab at what on earth the instructions meant and to me that's stupid like this this was a stupid challenge because that wasn't something they could have worked out logically that wasn't so, and that wasn't like something that they should have had as base knowledge um they really did just guess So the people who did it correctly, it didn't feel like they succeeded because of the technical knowledge. It felt like it was just sort of chance in a way. If any of them had eaten a Queen Emma, because I feel like if you ate it and you had crunchy sugar, then when you went to make it, you might know that you would want to put the sugar in later so it didn't absorb into the pastry. But they hadn't, right? None of them had even heard of it, right? So yeah, that's right. You don't know what it's supposed to be like. Yeah, it's tough. Like if they'd I guess fed it, yeah. one, if they'd fed all of them one at the beginning and <laughs> yeah. then made them do it, then I think that would have been an interesting test. Yeah. But instead, it was like four and a half hours of them sitting around being extremely anxious, like <laughs> three and a half hours reading the recipe over and over again, like it was going to give them new, like it was going to give them new information. Drinking tea, but they all on the judging block. They look not bad. Like any of them look like they'd be good, but. Chetna has last place, Louis fifth, Kate fourth, Martha third, 
Nancy second, and Richard comes in first. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's more or less luck. As they all get like good lamination and yada yada. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought this one was kind of stupid. <laughs> it, it just seemed like it, like they were being tortured to no particular end. Like, I, I don't feel like withholding the instructions tested them in any like useful way. It wasn't like things they should have been able to intuit or figure out. Yeah, I think that it is. I'm going to Google. I want to Google so I can share. There's a fellow whose recipe I was going to use if I was going to make it. And it gives good step-by-step instructions. You know, you're, you're right, though, that, like, in Montreal, I saw it in a coffee shop. Like, not even in, yeah. like, a nice bakery. Like, just in the coffee shop display case, I had seen these. Yeah. Uh, David Levovitz. So mm. um, if anyone's interested in making one... I think he's the fellow who has lived in Paris for, like, a long-ass time and, like, has just basically a complete dream life living in Paris and writing for the New York Times about, like, French food. I think we've talked about him before on the show. Yeah. I get him confused with Mark Bittman for some reason. Like, I think about them in this in similar ways. Like, I guess Samin Nasrat could go in this sort of, like, general... Ca- there are some people who... there. Are, bunch of people who could go in this general category but they're sort of more alike than they are alike to Simi Nasrat but people who are really good at explaining technique so that you can like follow step by step what they do and learn how to make something complex and they sort of like give you good logic behind it not everybody writes recipes like that like not everyone who's a really good cook writes good technical recipes or mm. like gives you ideas about all right, this isn't going to work, so this is what you can swap in. And that is, this is just my favorite type of recipe writer. On that note, do you want to do that for our listeners in Andrea's Baking Corner? Alrighty, so this week I made pistachio chocolate eclairs. And just to keep these things interesting, I also made samosas. Um, And I made an alu matar, matar, alu matar, samosa, potatoes and peas. Your classic, one of one, one of classic, the classic samosa flavors. I also made an impossible burger, better beef. I don't even actually remember. It's the same thing to me. Um, I use that as filling also. So why don't I talk about the samosas first? Um, The dough for these... Um, I used a gluten-y recipe because when I looked up the gluten-free ones, they looked all weird. There hadn't really been enough like recipe development in that area. So um, you take flour, gluten-free flour, add some oil, and then break it up until it's kind of, um, until the flour is like saturated. And then add water and bring it all together. It was a bit of a strange dough to work with. Before I chilled it, I was wondering if it was going to be sort of like pasty because like water and flour is glue. It was very difficult dough to work with gluten-free. The way you're supposed to make a samosa is to roll out a little circle, cut it in half, take a half and make a cone shape, put the filling in and then pinch the bottom closed. Oh, I didn't know that. This was next to impossible um, as a gluten-free thing. And so I just kind of half-assed it. I'd have my little half circle put the thing in, fold it over, close it up as best as possible. And then initially I was going to deep fry it. But when I went to take the oil out of my cupboard, I did not have enough oil. It was such a frustrating process to shape the first half of the samosa batch. 
that I decided to just bake them in the oven because I decided, like, if I had put them into the oil, I thought about shallow frying. If I'd put them into the oil and they fell apart, I was going to set my house on fire and start a new life somewhere else. Mm. So, <laughs> but if I put an egg wash on them and chuck them into the oven, they would still be dinner. So that's what I did. And then the next, or that same night, I still had the other half of the filling and the other half of the dough. And so I rolled it out and I made it into a giant samosa calzone. (laughs) And actually, it worked really well as a giant samosa calzone. Like, if I was going to make, I will make this again. I'm going to make it again soon because I really love samosas and it's been a really long ass time since I've eaten one. Um, I'm just going to make a giant samosa calzone. That doesn't have, like, a weird ratio of filling to outer no, crunchy bit. No, I mean, the thing about gluten-free dough is that it's harder to get it as thin as gluten-y dough. And it's harder to pinch it together so that it sticks, blah, blah. So for the smaller ones, actually, the ratio is kind of off. I actually had to fully redo the potato filling because you bloom your spices in oil. Mm-hmm. And I went literally, like, seven seconds over. And so it had the edge of like burnt bitterness to it like not all the way over I I got Will to taste test without telling him <laughs> telling him why and he felt the same way it was tasty but then there was just that edge and so I pitched the whole thing and I think you messaged me a picture of spices in the garbage and I was confused <sighs> by it I had a really off off weekend when I was making this stuff so the eclairs, I don't know if you have the pictures of those. Your pictures yet. came in a really weird order. Like it, it like oh. pictures of samosa and pictures of eclairs are alternating with like, and then there's like, just like a picture of your cat. Like it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to follow the process of oh, making no. these things. Cause it's like, oh, it's like, is this samosa filling? Is this part of the eclair? There's mackerel. I don't oh, know. No. Oh, I sent you a picture. Oh gosh. It's like a, sta- a, a, a Claire pistachio creme pat just like on the ground. Just all over. My kitchen, it looked like my kitchen exploded. Oh, yeah, there it um, is. There it is. There's creme pat on the counter and the floor. Oh, man. So in order to make pistachio creme pat, I had to make my own pistachio cream. That involves um, blanching raw pistachios, removing the, like, inner husky part. Where did you get raw pistachios? I ordered them weeks in advance from the internet. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I made the pistachio paste, and, um, oh, that same weekend, I made a pistachio ice cream, but the first custard I made for it, the first time in my life I have ever scrambled a custard, I scrambled the custard. Yeah, so then it's such it was just such a bad weekend, and like I bake for relaxation, but it was just like it was stress after stress. So then I remade the ice cream that night. When it came to my pastry cream, I made a perfect creme pat, not to brag, but um, (laughs) when I put in the pistachio uh, cream or the pistachio paste, sorry. I had added a bit of water and a bit of oil as I was blending it in the food processor because it felt dry mm-hmm. um, and I was worried about about it being too dry and not fully blended for my ice cream. But adding those two things 
made my crimp hat loose. Like, mm. it's just a bit of a comedy of errors. So then I whipped cream to fold it together, wondering if maybe that would help. And it didn't really. So the other thing that happened was I didn't follow my normal shoe pastry recipe. I followed a different one. And in the future, I'll go back to um, Bruna Buz because <laughs> his was really good. And he just, he has good step-by-step instructions. So I piped these out and then it, basically they expanded too quickly and like split. Mm. And so I had little holes in my Claire's. How did the pistachio cream end up on the floor? Oh, I think it was dripping out of the piping nozzle. I can't remember. I can't, like, it's all a blur at this point. <laughs> you know how Martha was near the end of her when she was like, Richard, can you please? Yeah. yeah. It would, I would have been in that type of situation. I would have had, like, a ruby-looking table at the end. Everyone who ate one said they were delicious, blah, blah. But, which I guess, like, you know, they were. But technically it was um, far from perfect. Far from perfect. You know what I was thinking about is, on, on the Bake Off, they talk a lot about how difficult shoe is. Um, and then I was thinking, I, I, I think shoe is easier than other a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, but the reason I think that is because I think it's easy to get shoe to be, like, fine. You know what I mean? Like, like to get shoe to be a perfectly fine conveyance for all your delicious fillings. <laughs> but it's very hard to get shoe to be correct, like to be exactly the way you want it to be for judge, judging for bake-off. Whereas a lot of other things, I think if you do them wrong, they just don't turn out at all. Like a lot of other baking. Um, if you do it wrong, it's like inedible. It's terrible. It just, it doesn't work. It doesn't do the thing it's supposed to, right? And that's like, has always been my frustration with baking is because it's like you work really hard and then don't have the thing at the end. Whereas with shoe, it's like, if you put the shoe in the oven and it doesn't puff up as much as you want it to, or it puffs up too much and it splits, it's fine like you're gonna fill it with delicious things and then cover it with more delicious things no one is ever gonna know right they're just gonna be happy to eat this like carby conveyance yeah like what you do with it it makes it totally not a big deal in a way that they're like like if you try to make a like a a cake with no leavening agent right you can (laughs) end up with a brick right and that like an an edible brick and that just that doesn't happen with shoe it, it just, it's still a perfectly delicious carb that you can load up with toppings. I think you're selling yourself short because you're actually good at shoe. It's the type of thing that lots of people mess up. But yes, so I had a conveyance, but I am going to try this again. And the other thing that I had, I saw someone do it with um, a star tip, like pipe them out with a star tip. And so I tried that and it did not work as well as just piping it out of a normal like mm. circular tip. Um, I think also with gluten-free stuff, like I had, I had much better luck with my, uh, bicycle wheel Bruno Alba's Mm -hmm. one. And I also had much better luck with my cream puffs. Um, Why did you change shoe recipes? I found a recipe that was like for the whole kit and caboodle, like a a pistachio eclair. And I I was like, okay, I'll do this one. So next time you do like this recipe for the for the fillings for the the creams, and then you would use Bruno Blues's shoe recipe for the actual like for the eclair container. Yeah, or or just like a savory. Nancy just uses a savory shoe for both her sweet and savory bakes, mm-hmm. which in the showstopper, 
so I, I wouldn't, I would also potentially go back to the cream puff recipe I used, which was far more like Brunel Booze's. This one was weird. And actually, I feel, my feeling about Eclairs is that maybe I prefer a cream puff anyway. Mm. The benefit of a cream puff is that you can make them so that you basically eat the whole thing. Yeah. And with an eclair, you eat it in bites and then you're going to get more squirting. And yeah. I don't like squirting. So I think if, if I'm making this recipe for myself again and not as part of a breast puff challenge... I'll be making cream puff version. I think if I were making them for myself, I would make cream puffs. I think if I were making them as a fancy gift that I was like putting in a oh, box yeah. for to present someone else, then I might pick eclairs. I think eclair, eclairs have more visual impact. They do. Although you can make, I don't know. I would still like in, in these, these ones, I can picture like dipping them in chocolate and sprinkling roasted pistachios on top and having them look pretty good yeah but picture them in a box i feel like the yeah. little the little balls in a box are not just they just don't they're harder to transport and i think that they won't they won't stay looking as cute in the way eclairs will oh. yeah but they'd be just as fine they'd be better for a dinner party yeah if i have to watch them eat it then I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh imagine serving eclairs and just like <laughs> yeah but um i gave some to my friend megan and she thought they were really tasty so i'm sure they were like you sent me like a million pictures that seemed to (laughs) that convey a lot of emotions across them (laughs) but the final product looks really good all right well thanks um yeah i mean i think it would have been enough quote unquote enough to save me but i did not offer any star baker level bakes this time around. Although it was it was personally satisfying to discover making giant symbols. <laughs> uh, so their showstopper is eclairs, as could maybe you've gleaned. Um, they have to make 24 eclairs, two flavors, so 12 of each flavor, doing shoe pastry, eclair-shaped, uh, but the flavors and decoration is freestyle. They have four hours to do this. Four hours. So you brought up Martha and her situation. Martha's uh, flavors are rhubarb and, rhubarb and custard, and then she does maple syrup and bacon eclairs. At school, she wrote 8,000 words about shoe pastry, mostly about the development of the profiterole. Mm-hmm. And her idea with this one was to do an American breakfast theme eclair. And she's not the only one who's going American. Lewis has stars and stripes eclairs. And both of them make interesting choices. Martha's supposed to have little bits of candied bacon. Basically, everything goes wrong. Her rhubarb and custard flavor-wise is good. But her shoe falls apart. And then um, the maple... It's really hard to get... I don't know if she used maple sh- sugar or how... I have a feeling she used maple syrup and she should have used maple sugar or maple butter or something yeah. not syrup. I think the syrup prevented her creme pat from setting. Exactly. So it's too loose and, you know, it just kind of oozes out. And I feel for her because I also had that problem. Mine was slightly more set than hers, but was still... Yeah, a nightmare. A nightmare. It didn't work for either Paul 
Or Mary. Yeah. And at, at the end, she had uh, Richard and Chetna helping her because they were done. And it was in, like yes. the final two minutes. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, Richard was throwing on her nougat squares for her. And I don't know yeah. what Chetna was doing. Chetna was also like in the mix. Like she had her hands on Martha's bed and Marcia was like frantically thanking them both. Yeah. Um, Should we do the Lewis next just because he's American also? I, okay, so his was blueberry cheesecake and peanut butter and jello were his two themes. Yeah. Um, the blueberry cheesecake had like a strip of blueberry jam and then candied pecans, and then the peanut butter and jello had peanut butter brittle on the top. So Mary describes it as looking like a party, and later in the judging tent, like they're both talking about how how great it looks and how he did phenomenally mm. well. Um, I thought they looked terrible. I thought they looked terrible. so gaudy. They uh-huh. looked so American to me. You know, like this is yeah. what I was thinking of. They look like like at a novelty donut shop. This is the kind of thing you would see. Um, this vibrancy of color and this type of design and these flavor combinations. I thought I thought they looked terrible, um, but. Paul and Mary disagree wildly. To me, they look like something like if Sarah Palin had access to a French chef and was doing a party. (laughs) And she was sort of like set directing. And the flavors are so weird. I do not understand what British people think Americans are eating all the time. It's okay. the, The blueberry one was electric blue. You know, like, it yeah. is not a color that makes you think of blueberries or blueberry jam or blueberry yeah. cheesecake. It's, it's like, that is not a color that exists in nature. Like, that's not a color you want to eat. I don't know. To me, they were so off-putting. And I know, I, I guess they're like, that's 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 American for you, right? That you're on theme. The, um, the peanut butter and strawberry ones were also garish. Yes. Ready pink. Uh, Chetna makes a chocolate and mango eclair and a lemon meringue eclair. I would never have thought to do a lemon meringue eclair, but there are two in this showstopper challenge. Mm. Um, Mary says that these it was very ambitious to do these. Um, Paul says that it needed a couple more minutes on the lemon meringue. Um, they liked the mango and chocolate combination very well thought out for taste. So Chetna gets this judging after Kate gets hers. We probably should start Kate with Kate, I'm sorry. But because Kate also does a lemon meringue eclair, <clears throat> but very poorly. Kate is frustrated that they both did it. Like, like as, as you said, Kate is like, I have never seen a lemon meringue eclair in my life. Like, how is it we both came up with this independently? Um, it's kind of an understatement to, to say Chetna's is like chocolate mango. It's like chocolate chew and then mango filling and then like caramel yeah. chocolate icing and then little pieces of mango and then like a little bit of like caramel sugar work and then... Yeah. Her eclairs are very, very elaborate, um, and Mary is super impressed by them. Like, she, again, it's like once they've gone off to the judging tent, she, like, says the mango chocolate thing is, is very special, is how she puts it. Yeah. Everything goes wrong for Kate. Um, she she's, she's saying that kind of towards the end of their baking time. She's, like, walking around the tent going, like, that was terrible. I... Yeah, I'm a goner. It's over. Um, she has to put hot strawberry compote mixture or something onto her chocolate shards. Oh, yeah, and they all start melting. They all start melting. She and the thing is, she knew that she had done badly this whole weekend. Sort of like at the top, she was like, "It's really important for me yeah. to do well today. This is like her chance to save herself." Um, and then it's it's all a mess. They're really uneven somehow. Like some of them ended up like you know, more baked than others. Like some of them were really underdone and some of them were okay. Like it just, it was all a mess. It all looked bad. There's this debate about 
Mary doesn't taste the basil and Paul does. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, they just kind of look messy. Uh, Nancy does a savory one. She does the salmon yeah. and fresh horseradish from her garden um, with sesame mm. seeds. That sounded really good. Like, watching her pipe out, like, the salmon filling that she had made, I was like, that looks great. I want to pipe that straight into my mouth. Yeah, it did look really good. I think the only thing about the savory bake is there's not as much opportunity for decoration. So you don't have like icing and yada yada. So it looks like slightly plain in comparison, but then it looked like it was going to be super tasty. And I thought it was really smart for her to choose that because there's no way you're going to have a loose smoked salmon and yeah. horseradish filling. So you can really focus on like getting your other filling kind of nailed which is a raspberry ripple for the other one which was slightly too soggy and then slightly too sweet yeah she decorated it kind of weird she had a stripe of icing on the top and then just like red dots oh yeah i thought they were supposed to look like um tiny raspberries like um there was one shot of them where they looked like a, like they were supposed to be a drawing of sorts, kind of like it was supposed to be like a little fruit pattern. Uh, um, but then they kind of just sank away, you know, it kind of melted into itself a little okay. bit. Um, I think that was the original idea. Right. In the baking corner, you said that uh, you bake for relaxation. And in this one, Richard mm-hmm. says uh, he was bored, so he made a set of stairs that like are going to display yeah. his eclairs and then later his dad can reuse them for the chickens right it could be a chicken ladder up to the coop yeah i love that both of you i feel like i don't i wish i was like that i'm not like that like i don't do anything productive when i'm bored or to relax i feel like i just you know i just watch youtube or like something like purely consumptive um and not i don't know i, I just like when Richard was like, I was bored, so I made a set of stairs. I was like, I wish that's, <laughs> I wish I was that kind of person. Um, but his, the, um, Mary and Paul felt like his were unimpressively decorated. Um, but they're very impressed by his, the way he didn't overdo it with his floral tastes. Like he used, he did lavender and yeah. rose. And they were both like delicate and like just, just the right amount, just a hint, not overwhelming. Um they were perfectly consistent in yeah. size. I was excited. I think of all of them, Nancy's savory one and then Richard's eclairs and Chetna's were kind of the ones that were like stood out to me. That especially the no all of you know I like the idea of a lemon meringue eclair. I love lemon meringue. Mm-hmm. So so in the end, uh, Richard is star baker. And there's a lot of discussion. So Paul says this, says what we have been saying, or I, at least I have been saying this whole season, is that they are like an unusually strong group. Like Paul says, like, they're such yeah. a strong group that at this point we're having to kick people out for just the tiniest mistakes. Um, like there's so little between them yeah. now. Uh, and they send Kate home. And so my version of the episode, so uh, Mel and Sue hug Kate. And say like melon Sue sandwich, oh. and then the episode ends. So I don't know what the closing yeah. like talking head stuff was. Kate says she's absolutely gutted to go, and it mostly it mostly focuses on Kate. She's absolutely gutted to go, but she loves baking. She's probably gonna make not gonna bake tomorrow. She might not bake the next day, but she'll bake again mm. soon. And she is just like overjoyed to have this experience. So I think it's kind of the closest we get to see Kate to seeing Kate cry because she's a very reserved Southerner. I was going to say repressed, but I think that's unfair. She's a very reserved Southerner. I I really, Kate 
grows on me. Like, every time I watch mm. this season, I come into it not being all that... I don't know, just... She's historically not the type of person I, like, connect with, necessarily. And But then by the this point in the season, I am always really sad to see her go. And it did feel quite close with Martha yeah. this time around, I have yeah. to say. I agree with that. I, I think... I think either would have been fair in a, in its way. And I think yeah. that they're both extremely talented and it would be difficult. Oh yeah. It would, yeah. It would be difficult to kick them out. Like to not feel like I want to see what they would do with one more week. Uh, this has been the Ref Puffs. So your hosts are Andrea Bennett and Kim Fu. Uh, we both write books as well. Um, Andrea's latest is like a boy, but not a boy. And my latest is lesser known monsters, of the 21st century. Uh, you can find Hello. us on Twitter at Rough Puffs or on Instagram at The Rough Puffs. And please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. If you're going to give us a four or higher, anything lower than that, thanks, but no thanks. Um, <laughs> just being honest. Um, I have, we both have our Goodreads to consult if we want negative <laughs> reviews. Congrats to Richard, whose pastry was tasty. And goodbye, Kate, whose shoe made us blue but not as blue as Lewis's. <laughs>